0: We'll take your copy of God's Word and open it with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 5. And we'll begin in a moment in verse 21. John chapter 5 in verses 21 through 29. History is full of people who made incredible claims, were ridiculed for making those claims, but were later vindicated. For example, back in the 17th century, there was a doctor named William Harvey, and he was the first who claimed that it was the heart, not the liver, that causes the blood to circulate in your body. No one in the medical establishment believed him, but now it's common knowledge. A few years after he made that claim, Galileo claimed that the earth revolves around the sun and not the other way around. Because he made that claim, he was arrested and tried and imprisoned and forced to recant. But now we know that Galileo was right. In the 19th century, there was a man by the name of Ignaz Simmelweis. He claimed that people were Uh, dying of infections needlessly because doctors needed to start washing their hands. Doctors were offended. You mean it's our fault that all these people are dying? They thought he was crazy. They literally put him in an insane asylum. But now we all wash our hands and we hope our doctors do as well. All of these men made claims, they were rejected for making those claims, but their claims turned out to be true. Well, 2,000 years ago, a Galilean carpenter named Jesus made some claims about himself, and he made claims that were so big, it makes all of those other claims look small in comparison. And just like those others, Jesus is still rejected and ridiculed by many in this world for the claims that he made. But we're here today because we've experienced him and we believe that every claim that he made is true. We're continuing this morning to study this passage that we began last Sunday. As you recall, Jesus had healed a man who was lame for 38 years. But he did it on the Sabbath. And because of that, a lot of people got angry with him and they wanted to know just who does this Jesus think he is? So Jesus began to answer that question. We saw last week he made some incredible claims about himself. He claimed to be equal with the Father. The very fact that he referred to God as his Father Everyone understood that to be a claim to deity. Jesus claimed to be at work with the Father. He said, whatever the Father does, I am doing. He claimed to have a special love relationship with the Father. Now, no one else could ever make these kind of claims, but Jesus did. This morning, we're going to look at the next four claims Jesus made about himself, believe it or not. These claims are just as big and bold as the first three. And just like last week, as Watchman Nee said, when you consider the claims of Christ, you are put in a corner. You're forced to decide. He is either a liar or he is a lunatic or he is Lord. Those are the only options that are available to us. As we study these verses, I'm going to be moving around a little bit in the passage. So I want to begin by reading the entire passage, starting in verse 21. So look at it with me. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son." that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in Him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment but has passed from death into life. Most assuredly, I say to you, The hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, For the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good, to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Four claims that Jesus made about himself, all of which we see in these verses, Jesus claimed to have the ability to impart life. He claimed to have the ability to impart life. And go back to verse 21, for as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. Once again, Jesus is making a claim to have the power to do something that only God can do. Only God can impart life. In spite of all of our technology, in spite of all of our knowledge of science, there is one thing we cannot do. We cannot create life out of non-living material. But the Bible says that God in creation formed man from the dust of the ground and into him breathed the breath of life and he became a living soul. That's what God did. Acts 17 says God gives life and breath to all. Only God can do that. And Jesus is claiming to have that ability himself. Look at verse 26. Jesus said, for as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in in himself. Notice that just as the father has life in himself, Jesus said that the son also has life in himself. We think about Elijah in the Old Testament. You remember that story when the widow's son died and he stretched himself out over that boy and prayed for him and pleaded with God and God raised her son back to life. But Elijah could never claim to have life in himself. Years later, when his protege, Elisha, did the same, he could not claim to have life in himself. But Jesus, on the other hand, makes that very claim. He said to Martha in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. In other words, he is the source of life. Now, What kind of life is Jesus talking about here? Well, he's talking especially and particularly about that spiritual life that a person receives the moment they are saved. And we know this because in verse 25, notice what he says. The hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. In this moment, he's not talking about that future resurrection when God will cause the dead to rise. He's going to get to that a few verses later. But here, he's talking about that spiritual life that God gives to those who are spiritually dead right now. The hour has come and now is. Ephesians 2 says that apart from Christ, we are dead in our trespasses and our sins. And you know what a dead person needs? Someone who is dead, they don't need money. Someone who is dead, they don't need encouragement. Someone who is dead, they don't need opportunity. Someone who is dead needs one thing. They need life. Jesus speaks of himself, calls himself the son of God. He said the son speaks and those who hear will live. Jesus gives them life. Notice in verse 21 it says he gives this life to whom he will. Now that's an interesting statement and that kind of begs the question. To whom is it Jesus' will to give life? Well, Jesus tells us, just a couple of verses down in verse 24. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. The answer to the question, to whom is it Jesus's will to give life, is the one who believes. Not the one who deserves it because none of us do. Not the one who has earned it by their good works because none of us could ever be good enough. But to the one who hears, but it's not enough to hear the gospel, they must also respond by believing, the text literally says in the Greek, by faithing in him. In other words, it's an act of faith in which we stop placing our faith in ourselves to try to save ourselves, and we place our faith in Christ, trusting in him alone. Now, notice what happens when someone places their faith in him, Jesus said, This person has everlasting life. Now, we saw this back in chapter three, but I got to point this out to you again. Notice that everlasting life is not something God promises to give the believer in the future, eventually, one day. No. The one who believes has everlasting life. In other words, right now. Hear me carefully. Everlasting life is not something you get when you die, everlasting life is something you get when you believe. It is a present possession everlasting life. And if this life is everlasting, how long does it last? Forever. This is one of the reasons why we believe that when someone has been truly and genuinely saved, they cannot and they will not lose their salvation. Now, there are some people who take issue with what I'm saying. There are some folks who will debate this and will say, Pastor, maybe the life that he gives us is everlasting, but that doesn't mean our possession of it is everlasting. For example, there's some who might would say, "Well, well, maybe I have a watch that will last forever. That would be great, but I could still lose that watch. I could still give it up. Well, is that what Jesus is talking here? Is that how it works with this life? Can I lose it? Can I forfeit it? Notice what he says at the end of verse 24. And shall not come into judgment but has passed from death into life. Jesus said that the one who believes has eternal life and that this person shall not come into judgment. That word judgment is the same word we saw back in chapter 3, which also translates condemnation. The one who believes, the one who comes into this everlasting life, who possesses everlasting life, will never again return, Jesus said, to this state of condemnation. And we remember John told us what this means to be in condemnation. He said this is the person who is perishing. This is the person who does not believe because they love the darkness and they hate the light because their deeds are evil and they do not want to be exposed. John said that that is the present condition of every person apart from Christ. But Jesus said the one who believes, the one who is saved, the one who has everlasting life will not come into judgment but has passed from death to into life. God doesn't bring us out of death into life just to hand us back over to death once again. He not only promises us this eternal life that we have it, but he promises you will have it for all eternity for the one who believes. Now, if you're here today and you're spiritually dead, I got good news. Jesus gives life. He gives eternal life. He gives abundant life. In fact, anything in your life that is dead that needs to be brought to life, Jesus can do it today. He can bring life to dead hopes. He can bring life to dead dreams. He can bring life to a dead home or dead relationships or a dead marriage. Whatever it is, Jesus has the ability to impart life. What an incredible claim that Jesus made. Something else he claimed in this passage, Jesus claimed to have the authority to judge mankind. He claimed to have the authority to judge mankind. Look at verse 22. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. Repeatedly in the Old Testament, God is referred to as the one who judges. There's this famous question that Abraham asked back in Genesis 18, 25, will not the judge of all the earth do what is right? That title, the judge of all the earth, became one of the most used titles, the most referenced titles for God, and no one would have ever thought of taking that title and applying it to themselves. But Jesus did. And when he said, the Father has committed all judgment to the Son, that means a couple of things. That means that God's judgment will be carried out by Jesus. It also means that our judgment will be determined by how we respond to Jesus. He takes it a step further in verse 27. He says, just as the Father has granted the Son to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment also. Why? Because he is the Son of Man. Jesus said that yes, he actually has the authority to judge mankind, and he has that because he is the Son of Man. Remember, that title, Son of Man, it first shows up in the book of Daniel to refer to the Messiah. But he's also called the Son of Man because he is fully man and fully God. And because Jesus was God-made man who came to redeem man, he says, therefore, he has the authority to judge man. Let me illustrate this uh, as best as I can. Uh, Years ago, there was... A famous arena in Seattle, Washington that was called the Kingdome. And this arena, I got a picture if you could put it up, this arena was uh, 25,000 tons. It was the home for years of the Seattle Supersonics back when they were playing basketball there, the Seattle Seahawks when they played football there for more than two decades this was part of the Seattle skyline but then in the year 2000 that stadium the kingdom was destroyed and part of the amazing thing about what you are seeing right here is everything that the company did that was in charge of the demolition in order to make sure that no one was hurt, that no one was injured, that no one died when that building came down. For example, they evacuated much of the city around the kingdom before that explosion took place. And they had all sorts of safety measures in place where any number of people could stop the demolition if there was any concern, even in the final moments. They made sure that all of the workers were accounted for several times. They brought in a a large speaker and they broadcast the countdown so that everybody could hear them counting down until that final moment. They did all of this in order to make sure that every person had every opportunity to avoid perishing when those explosives were detonated, and when that building was destroyed. I tell you this because, do you know why Jesus said the Father has committed to the Son all judgment? And why He said the Son of Man has authority to judge? It's because Jesus, the Son of Man, came from heaven to earth And He did everything necessary to make sure that every person has the opportunity to not perish and to be saved from the judgment of God. He took our place. He gave up His life. He shed His blood. He suffered God's wrath. He rose from the dead. And that is why When a man or woman stands before him at judgment, the one who loved them, the one who died for them, and when they see the nail scars in his hands and his feet, every excuse they have for rejecting him will vanish in an instant. No one will be able to stand before the throne of Christ and say, but you don't understand you never walked in my shoes you never struggled the way i struggled you were never tempted the way i was tempted because they will be looking right at the son of man who did everything necessary for that person to avoid the judgment of god that's why jesus said the father's given all judgment to the son That's why he said the Son of Man has the authority to judge because he did all of this for us. What a claim that he made. He claimed to have the authority to judge mankind. Another claim that Jesus made, he claimed to have the power to raise the dead. He claimed to have the power to raise the dead. We've already seen that he has the power to impart life, but now he goes even further. Look at verse 28. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. We'll look at the rest of that verse in just a moment, but notice once again, Jesus said, The hour is coming, but this time he does not say, And now is. He just says, The hour is coming. Because this time Jesus is talking about an event that will take place in the future when those who are physically dead will be literally raised from the dead. And once again, Jesus is claiming to have the power to do something that only God can do. Only God can raise the dead. Only God has that kind of power. We all know if we went to a funeral and somebody raised the dead in that funeral, you would say, I would say, probably everybody would say, that person, that must be the most powerful person in the world. But notice what Jesus says here. According to Jesus, one day, every grave will be opened. Every person will be resurrected. At Jesus' command, at the mere sound of his voice, Can you imagine not only having the power to raise one person from the dead, but the power to raise from the dead all who have died simply by speaking it? Our minds really can't even comprehend that kind of power. That's the kind of power Jesus claimed to have. And by the way, the one who has that power is the same one who said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The one who has that power is the one who said, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. If the one who has that kind of power is with you to protect you and provide for you and defend you, why in the world would we ever fear anyone or anything but God? Jesus gave them a taste of this power three times In his earthly ministry, three times in the Gospels, he's recorded as having raised the dead. And I want you to notice what Jesus did. He made a claim that you could not observe, and then he backed it up by doing things you could observe. No one could look at Jesus in John 5 and see with their eyes that, yes, he has the power to raise the dead. But when Jesus raised the widow's son at Nain, everybody saw him climb out of the coffin. When Jesus raised Jairus' daughter from the dead, everyone could see that little girl prancing about. When Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, everyone could observe him, you could interview him. And when Jesus himself rose from the dead, he was witnessed by hundreds of people, which is one of the reasons why Christianity exploded in growth during the first century. But notice Jesus said that all who are in the graves will hear his voice and they will come forth. Notice verse 19, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Now, let me pause. Someone's going to ask, well, pastor, does this mean that whether or not someone is part of the resurrection of life is... Is based on what they've achieved, achieved. have they earned their spot in that resurrection by their works, by doing good? No, Jesus already made clear that we receive everlasting life by believing in him. It is a free gift that a person receives when they believe. Jesus said in verse 19 that those who do good are raised to the resurrection of life and those who do evil are raised to the resurrection of condemnation because Jesus is assuming that those who truly believe that those who have truly been saved will show it by a lifetime of good works because faith without works is what? Dead. But I want you to notice two resurrections that he refers to. The resurrection of life and the resurrection of condemnation. The resurrection of life we have another term for this. Sometimes we call this the rapture. It's described in places like First Thessalonians chapter four, if you want to read more, places like First Corinthians chapter 15. The Bible says that Jesus himself will descend with a shout, that the trumpet will sound, that the dead in Christ will rise, and those who are alive will meet him in the air, and from that point forward, so will we ever be with the Lord. This is the resurrection of the redeemed, the resurrection of life. But then he mentions another resurrection, and everyone is eventually going to be part of one or the other. There's the resurrection of life, and then there is what he called the resurrection of condemnation. This is a separate resurrection, a separate event that happens later on when all of those who have rejected him are resurrected and stand before him at what we call the Great White Throne Judgment. It's what it's called in Revelation chapter 20. The Bible says at this resurrection, at this judgment, Jesus will search for their names in the book of life. The book that contains the names of all of those who have been saved, but when He does not find their names in it, they are cast into a lake of fire. And so there are two resurrections. There is the resurrection of life. There's the resurrection of condemnation. But notice, every person will be resurrected at the sound of his voice. Jesus made that claim. He claimed to have that kind of power. A terrorist has the power to rip you to pieces with a bomb, but only Jesus has the power to not just put those pieces back together, but to raise you up with a glorified body. That is real power. And because Jesus claimed to have this power, because he made all of these claims about himself, there is one more claim that Jesus makes in this passage that I want to point out before we close. Jesus claimed to be worthy to receive honor. He claimed to be worthy to receive honor. It says in verse 23 that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. If Jesus had just said all should honor the Son, period, that might not have been all that controversial because there are people we should honor. The Bible says we should honor our parents. We should honor those who serve and those who sacrifice themselves for our well-being as much as possible. We should honor those who are in authority. But notice what Jesus said. He said, all should honor the Son as they honor the Father. In other words, the same honor that God deserves Jesus said he deserves because, once again, he is God. He then goes a step further and says, he who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father. By the way, if it was sufficient to just honor the Father, Jesus would have never made that statement. One must Believe in and honor the Father and believe in and honor the Son, Jesus, to be saved. And listen, you can honor God without honoring me. You can honor God without honoring many people, but you cannot honor God without honoring Jesus. According to Jesus. What a claim. Now, because Jesus is all of these things that we talked about last week and this week, this is the only appropriate response, to honor him. We honor him by exalting him. We honor him by praising him. We honor him by giving him thanks. We honor him by making our lives a living sacrifice. We honor uh, him by serving him. We honor him by making his name famous throughout the earth We honor him just by delighting in his presence. And guess what? When we get to heaven, you know what we're going to do? We're going to honor him. Revelation 4 says we're going to honor him by casting our crowns down at Jesus' feet. And then in chapter 5, it says we're going to honor him by saying... Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And then it says every creature is going to honor Him by saying blessing and honor and glory and power be to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Honoring Jesus is what we're going to do for all of eternity. And honoring Jesus begins with that first step in which you honor Him by receiving Him, by believing in Him, and confessing Him as Lord of your life and Lord of all. Would you join me as we pray right now? Oh God, once again, we've seen in your word some of the claims that Jesus made about himself. And it is hard for us to even wrap our minds around some of these claims. I realize that once again, I've not even scratched the surface. This is so deep, there's so much more than what we've seen in these few minutes that we've looked at this passage. But we thank you, O God, that the claims of Christ are true, that Jesus is everything that he claimed to be. He is all of this and so much more. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to understand this, to believe this, to apply this to our lives, that we would live our lives with a holy, holy, Boldness, knowing that we have such a Savior. And God, I pray for those who perhaps are here today who still need to come to that place where they hear and believe and receive everlasting life. Coming out of death into life. Father, if there's but one person here today who needs to take that step of placing their faith in Jesus, trusting in Him, believing in Him as Savior and as Lord, God, how we pray that this would be that holy, sacred moment, that born-again moment in their lives. We ask that right now your spirit would convict hearts as only you can do that you would open blind eyes and deaf ears and help some to hear all of this and see where they really stand before you because your word has told us this morning all of us will be a part of either the resurrection of life or the resurrection of condemnation, one or the other. And God, how I pray that everyone here would be a part of that beautiful, glorious resurrection of life. So have your way in these moments. Speak to hearts. Show us how you want us to respond. And Lord, help us to leave here today with an even greater vision of who Jesus is, that we would fall in love with him all the more and be all the more eager to tell the world about him. We pray all this in Jesus's name. With head still bowed and eyes still closed for just a moment. Is there anybody here that would say, reading verse 24, going back to that verse, Whosoever hears and believes will have or has, Jesus said, has everlasting life. Maybe there's not been that moment where by a step of faith you've placed your faith in Christ and you've called on him to be Savior and Lord of your life. And right now you don't possess that everlasting life. But the good news is you can. He's offering it to you. Anybody here that would say, Pastor, I need to receive that gift this morning. I need to receive that everlasting life. There's never been that moment uh, where I've called on him as Lord of my life. But I want to take that step today. Would you just raise your hand so I can see, so I can know, so I can be praying for you. I would love to meet with you after the service. I'm going to put myself right here at the front after it's over, and uh, I'll be not just greeting people, but I'll be here waiting to receive you if you need to take that step or if you just want to know more about what it means to be a follower of Christ. Uh, Anybody here that would say, Pastor, just pray for me because I need to come from death into life. I need uh, to possess this everlasting life that Jesus is talking about in these verses. Anybody would say, Pastor, that's me? For those of you that are watching online, we want to hear from you as well. Please would you let us know if you would text the word CONNECT to that number that is there on the screen uh, and just click on that link when you get it, and please let us know if today you're taking that step of faith or if you just want to know more so that we can help you to know Christ. Amen.